Okay, while well, the buckets are just finishing going round, if you have got a Bible, you might want to be turning to Philippians chapter 2. Over the last couple of times when I've been here preaching, we've had a look at this, this passage, this, uh, this part of Paul's letter to the Philippians, uh, where just this passage as a whole is just a great big encouragement and exhortation from Paul to the guys in Philippi, basically to keep going. Let's go for it, guys. Let's, let's do it. And it all comes out of what God has done in them. So he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, then, then let's do these things. And he puts down all these different things. He says in, in chapter 1, verse 27, live lives worthy of the gospel and stand firm in one spirit. He calls them in, in the second verse of chapter 2 to be united, like-minded, one in spirit and purpose. So that they don't think just of themselves, but they're humble, looking out for each other. And then, amazingly, in the middle of the passage, that wonderful example of Jesus from verse 5 of, let's be like him. Let's take up his attitude. He came, he, he didn't consider clinging on to what he had, using it to his advantage. The fact that he was, by very nature, God. But he came, and he died. He came as a man, and he died for us. And last time we were looking at the fact that Paul comes to, to come to verse 12 and onwards. He's kind of summing up and he's, he's saying, guys, carry on with what you're doing. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to become what it is that Jesus has made you to be through saving you at the cross. And we're going to pick up the next verses today. We'll start again at verse 12. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith I'm glad and rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice With me. So, verse 14. Paul's just said, Continue to work out your salvation. God's at work in you. And then do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay, Paul. Right, so just no moaning then. Okay, I was expecting something big here. And then do everything without complaining or arguing. You're working out your salvation. Now, just don't keep everything below the surface. Don't, don't moan about anything. Just keep, keep a good face on it. Is that what he's saying? I remember, some of you might remember, Philippians 2.14 will bring back in some people's minds a very specific tune. If you were ever involved with Kids Club, I'm sorry if you weren't. If you're ever involved with Kids Club, at the moment you will have 
I want to be like you from the Jungle Book going through your head. Because every week at Kids Club, we'd have a memory verse. This was one of them. It went like this. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Philippians chapter 2.14. Which was great. It stuck in my mind. I remember the verse. But there's a danger if we... We can end up looking at the verse like the song sounds, in a way. That we can think, ah, okay, this is a don't worry, be happy, or always look on the bright side of life type of verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Ah, ah, don't, don't, keep quiet. Don't moan about it. Rich is singing again. But is that what it is, that if we're asked the question, oh, how are you doing? Well, you know, can't complain. Mustn't grumble. We need to follow the rule, keep it, keep it all inside. No, we know that that's not the case. We know that, in fact, as Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the church being a body together. And he says in In verse uh, 26, he talks about the fact that if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. We're not hiding away what we're we're struggling with. We're not hiding away what what we're finding tough at the moment. Paul says, no, no. We want to share these. We want to be real with each other. This verse here isn't saying, keep everything beneath the surface. Don't moan about it. Remember I told you. So what is it about? Paul puts a lot of importance on this verse, it seems. He says, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe. He's saying, we want to get this right. So actually, because actually... This grumbling, this complaining, arguing, it's going to affect how we live out our lives, how we are effective for God, how God uses us. So let's look a bit more at this phrase, complaining and arguing. Elsewhere, that's what it is in the, well, in my copy of the NIV, I've I've learned that more up-to-date copies of the NIV say grumbling or arguing. The NASB and the ESV go for grumbling or disputing. And back in the King James, it's murmurings or disputings. But we see these, these words used several times in the New Testament. Paul's put them together here for a purpose. They're, they're kind of talking about the same thing. But, but the two words have a kind of, one word's kind of the outward, oh, I'm really fed up about it, I'm, I'm grumbling about this, I'm complaining. And the other is more talking what's going on inside our hearts that's leading to that. So we see the first verse, the first word comes out in Matthew 20, uh, in the, as, as Jesus, uh, is telling the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And the workers in the vineyard, if you, in that story, Jesus says, tells a story about there were some workers who were hired at the beginning of the day, said, oh yeah, I'll pay you this, this amount. And then as the story goes on, more workers are brought in later and later in the day. And then it gets, 
to the end of the day and they're going to get their pay. And they say this, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, this is Matthew 20 verse 9, came and each received a denarius. That was the amount that had been agreed at the beginning. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Okay, so that's one example. But then you get, this is often used to the Pharisees and the religious leaders complaining about Jesus or complaining to the disciples. So in Luke 5 verse 30, you get the Pharisees complaining, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? On the one hand, you could say, oh, it's just a question. Why, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? But there's actually a sense, this isn't a, a legitimate question. He's not, they're not asking, we want to know. We want to know why. There must be a good reason. No, they're saying, you shouldn't be doing it. We're moaning about it. And then the other word. It's more inward. It gets translated in Mark 7, 21 as evil thoughts. So Jesus is talking, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from, for it's from within, out of a person's heart, heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he goes on to list some. And in Mark 2, verse 6, the Pharisees are thinking about Jesus. They're, they're, think, they're not saying anything, but they're thinking about it. What's this blasphemy? Because Jesus has, has said something about himself, which they think, oh, only God can say that. So why have I gone into all those uh, examples? But the point is that these two words together, they're kind of communicating this sense of this grumbling is... I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't agree with what you're saying. I know better than that. And it may be going on inside, or it may be coming out as a grumble. What, what are we doing this for? What, I, I don't get this. God, why is this going on? And then Paul uses the same word again in 1 Corinthians 10. And he's using an example. He said he's, he, the, the, the part in 1 Corinthians 10 Am I right about 1 Corinthians 10? Yes, I am. 1 Corinthians 10, the first part of 1 Corinthians 10 in the NIV is entitled Warnings from Israel's History. And you get to verse 10 and it says, And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Paul, in using this phrase, and we see from these phrases, there's, there's something important about this. And... Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 to learn from Israel's history. So that's what we're going to do. We can see actually in Philippians 2, Paul's kind of probably got this kind of in the back of his mind. He kind of quotes from Moses with uh, in a warped and crooked generation. Moses has used that phrase in Deuteronomy 32. But if we're going to have a look a bit at the story in the Exodus and see how they reacted to situations... And what it is that this grumbling is communicating? What is it that, what is it that's such a problem about it? Okay. So we can pick that up in Exodus chapter 15. And so this story, what's happened? God has redeemed his people out of slavery. We know that back in the, Right back, God had called the people. Then we got to Jacob and Jacob's son. Jacob and his sons, one in particular, Joseph, went to 
was sold into slavery himself, but ended up in Egypt and ended up uh, being the one who, through God speaking to him, he was able to formulate this plan. God gave him this plan to save everyone from the famine that was coming. And so therefore, Jacob and his family come to Egypt as well. And so God's people are growing up uh, and growing in Egypt. But time moves on. That Pharaoh goes. Another Pharaoh comes who thinks this, these people, and they're a problem. They're getting far too big. They're going to be trouble, and he makes them slaves. But 400 years on, God hears his people's groaning, and he brings them out. And so we get, we get here. God's redeemed his people out of slavery, out of the hand of Pharaoh. And just before this section, he's brought them through the Red Sea. God, Pharaoh's changed his mind again. He's coming after them, and God brings them through the Red Sea. And so we'll start the last verse of chapter 14. When the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. And then verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord and they praise God. They're, they're ecstatic. They've come through. God has brought them out. God has rescued them. And they're trusting God. They're praising him. They're starting really well. And so off they go. There you can imagine them walking along. Uh, the, the Bible said they go on for three days until we get to this next bit we're going to look at. And so they're walking. Oh, it's amazing. How, what did God, how did God do that? And Moses put his staff in the water in it. Wow. It's incredible. Can you believe it? We're free. We're free from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's dead. He's gone forever. We're out. Yeah, but it's pretty hot here, isn't it? Yeah, I know, but we're free. Yeah, but have you got any water? No, no, I haven't got any, not a drop. But, but we are free, isn't it? It's great. Uh, but you haven't got any water, have you? That's just great, that is. All right, hang on, hey, look over there. And we hear in verse 22 of chapter 15, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went to the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara, hey, look over there. They couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? So they, immediately, we're three days in. God's brought them out through the Red Sea. We're going, oh, what are we going to drink? Moses. But it's okay. God provides. God provides here. We go on the next verse. Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Amazing miracle again. Wow. God then promises to keep them safe. He says he's not going to bring on the, the problems that came on Egypt. He's, he is the God who heals them. And amazing. He brings them to this place just after to Elim, verse 27. They came to Elim where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. God brings them to this place of great abundant water. Incredible. And so they go on. A couple of months pass. They come to the desert of Sin. And then six, chapter 16, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out to this desert to starve this entire entire assembly to death. What do we see? What is happening here? God's brought them out. Out of slavery. Out from under the... He's defeated the enemy. He's brought them out. They're going, I'm going to bring you into a great land. I'm going to give you a land that's your own. A land flowing with milk and honey. That's where we're going. And they hit a bump in the road. It's a pretty big bump, to be fair. They haven't got any water and they haven't got any food. It's not, we're not trivializing what they're facing. This is tough. But suddenly the big picture is gone. The big picture's gone. They can't see it. I can't. Yeah, God, God, you're leading us. No, 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 we haven't got any food. We haven't got any water. What are we going to do? We should have stayed in Egypt. What? They're grumbling. And we can look at it and we can think, how ridiculous was that? It just come through the Red Sea. The Red Sea. Look, the water piled up in columns. It's incredible. They've come through that. Pharaoh's been drowned behind them and they're free. And then... Three days on, a couple of months on. Oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. And we can think, what are you doing? But actually, can't we be like that? When we're stepping out, when stepping out in what God has got for us, when that seems hard, it's so easy to want to say, I should just stay put. God, were you really saying this? God, were you really saying that we should go and do this? Maybe we should have stuck with what we had, where it was comfortable. But we see in Philippians, Paul's encouragement is, actually that whole passage, I see what you're facing. He says at the end of chapter 1. We'll get back to Philippians. The end of chapter 1, he, in uh, verse 29. For it's been granted, he's just told them to stand firm, to, to, to contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. And he says, for it's been granted on you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul knows that they're facing hard stuff. He faced it, he's still facing it. He knows it's not easy. This isn't some kind of walk in the park. But what's he saying? Stand firm. As he goes through the passage, move forward. That's one. Work out your salvation. God is at work in you. In that context, don't resort to grumbling. Don't turn your back and keep your eyes on Jesus, not thinking, oh, what on earth have we got into here? The Israelites are struggling with that. They're struggling to trust God in the face of what they're facing. They, at, the, at the Red Sea, they were like, yes, you've taken us through. We're going after you. Yes, Moses, we're following you. God, we're going after you. But here they can just see, has God got this covered? I just see the problem. I haven't got anything to eat. It's not easy. It's not trivial. But when we face things, how do we react? Can we end up just seeing, as they did, the problems? 
and our heads come down, and so we're grumbling, God, what are we doing here? What on earth? How? I, I really didn't think it was going to turn up like turn out like this. Or in the midst of it, can we see Him who is faithful? Him who is bigger than all the trials we face. Can we see him who is sovereign? He hasn't just got... He's brought them out through the Red Sea and he's got this in hand as well. But they can't see that yet. But when we face trials, can we see it? God's got it in control. I don't understand it, but God's got it in control. Okay, we'll go on. We see the same pattern again when they reach the borders of the promised land. So they go on in Numbers chapter 13. So they've gone through the desert. God's provided them amazingly again with manna from heaven. He's, he's fed them all the way. He's given them the quail and manna and he's led them through. He's taken them through to the edge of the promised land. And then they send out spies into the land to see, see what it's like, what they're facing. And so we read this in Numbers 13, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, and we see here, they've come back, and they can just see. They see it's good, but they can also just see this is just a massive issue. We can't... God may have said this, but these people are massive. They're a nightmare. This is a nightmare. But then, Caleb speaks up. And we see the contrast of what... These spies have gone, they've seen how good it is. But then they've seen how hard it will be. What, what on earth? What are we facing? But Caleb silences the people and says... We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. The men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they're stronger than we are. And then we see that this, this whole report gets amongst the, the Israelites and they're thinking, what are we going to do? So again, we come again, chapter 14, that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We see two ways of seeing the same situation. We see... Most of the spies have come back and they've said, this is too tough. This is, no, no. We may have come through some things, but this, no. Caleb's like, no, no. We should go and take it. 
We see again in 14 verse, chapter 14 verse 7, <clears throat> Caleb and Joshua carry on. Sorry, verse 6. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Caleb and Joshua can see the men of the land. They can see there is a battle to be had. There is tough stuff there. We, this isn't an empty land that we can just walk into. But what they say, but God is with us. If God is pleased with us, we can take it. What has God said? When we face troubles like this, again, this isn't trivial. This isn't... This is... The people of the land are very big. The people of the land are strong. The people of the land aren't going to want to just leave. But actually when we see these kind of problems, blocks in the road, do we have confidence in God? Caleb and Joshua were clinging on to, if God is with us, we can do it. We see... They have confidence in God. They know his power. And we can remember and we can see his power through remembering what he has done. Asaph in Psalm 77 is also facing what seems to be a tough time. And you can see it. He points it out in the beginning of the, of the psalm. He's saying, oh, I'm crying out to God for help. There's something tough going on. But then verse 10, he remembers. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. And your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, Asaph, looking back, can see, look what God did. Look what God did. He, he brought you through the Red Sea. He's brought you through the desert. He's brought you there. You can see, yes, God is, God is the one who can do it. In my trouble, I'm going to appeal to him. Yes, God, I know by your, by the works of your hand in the past, I know by your character, you can see me through. You are sovereign. You are above all of this. You are in control. But actually the Israelites, when they saw it, they couldn't see. They couldn't see. They couldn't remember what God had already done for them. 
As we remember it, it's a wonderful reminder and picture of what God has done already for us. So we see he brought them up out of slavery. The blood of lambs meant that the lamb died in their place and they were, they were, they were saved. God's crushed the enemy and brought them out through the sea. Ultimately, God is bringing them home. It's what God's done for us. We haven't taken a lamb and painted blood on the door. No, we have him who is the perfect lamb. Jesus who came, as Paul so wonderfully put it in Philippians 2, that he didn't, he didn't stay distant. He didn't say, no, no, I'm going to use my power to my advantage. No, he stepped down and died for us. And by his blood, we are free out of slavery from, to sin. Jesus has crushed the enemy. He's defeated death and he's brought us out. And ultimately, he is bringing us home. He's brought us into relationship with God. And ultimately, he's bringing us to glory. When we face troubles, do we remember he loves us? He has won us. He is in control. As Paul says, God is at work in you. That verse before. And we can see examples in our own past, even here. We can remember back to this building that we're in. God has provided for us. God has brought us in to what he's got for us. And he is leading us on. Yeah, we can face all sorts of situations. The Israelites face some pretty big ones. And we can face situations with our health. With things that are going on amongst us as a church. Maybe situations at work. At home. Family members. Health problems in our family problems between family members even we can look out and see what what's the government doing and we think oh oh no what's going on we can face things but actually in all of it we can trust him we can trust god paul's calling us do everything without complaining or arguing that's not just a kind of just shut up about it no don't look at that look at him But how was this grumbling and complaining shown? How did it come out? Well, what we see, what we've seen already is that primarily it came out against the leaders. We see Moses and Aaron are basically taking all the flack. We see, why have you led us out here to die? Why have you led us out here to die? You see, they set out full of faith. They're trusting God, trusting, and trusting Moses, his servant. They've seen God's hand upon Moses. Yes, we will follow you because God is leading you out, leading you. God, God is leading us and he's using you to do it. Actually, God has given us great men to lead us. We're not in the same position. We are. Yes, we're in a new covenant. Hallelujah. Jesus has died for all of us. We all have access to the throne room. But God has given us great men to lead us. God has given us great men in Dan and Mark. We were privileged for so many years to have Arnold. Do we trust these guys? 
It was great a couple of weeks ago at commitment evening to see us all standing together. We're with you. Let's see what God has for us together. That's what the Israelites are saying in in chapter 14, verse 31. We're with you. We're going with you. We trust God and we're trusting you. But then when the bumps come, what have you done? What have you done? And actually, as we go on, decisions will be made. We've got all these words that have come for us about change coming. We see, we've seen bits of already and lots of the box being ripped up. About the gold coming out of the box, but the box being ripped up and things not being how they were before. There's change that comes. And we've been through a lot already. Actually, it's been such a great response of faith. Well done. But what's next? As we go forward, are we going to be, can we go in faith? Yes, we're trusting you. Where are we going? Well, we stand with these guys full of faith. I've been loving that story uh, over recent months in 1 Samuel 14 of Jonathan and his armor bearer. So in 1 Samuel 14, verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And the armor bearer's response, do all that you have in mind. I go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. There's that sense of, We are so trusting God and we're so trusting who he has put in place that we're with you. Jonathan's plan sounds crazy. What is it? There's no detail to it. It's just vague. It's like, why why do we go over to these guys? But his faith isn't hazy. His faith is, God will, perhaps God will act. God Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He doesn't have a great plan. He's just, I feel God saying, let's go. I love that word that Mark brought just then. We don't see very far ahead. In fact, the armor bearer could see ahead. He could see what was, it wasn't rows of corn. He could see there was a vast army of Philistines. He knows this is going to be, oh, okay. Actually, but actually... I'm with you. I'm with you. I believe in God. I'm believing you, Jonathan. I'm with you. Can we respond like that? I can't have been an easy response. But actually, when we fix our eyes on God, we can see, yes, I want to go with what you have got for us. I see this. This looks tough. This looks hard. But I can see it. And even at the moment, we see... To Anna Mark leading the church. What, Mark's going to Canada? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Anna Mark leading the church. Mark's going to Canada. What? It can feel very, it can be confusing. It can be, wow, what is, what, is this a good idea? Is this a good plan? Hang on. Well, we had two elders and now one of them's in Canada. Um, Actually, do we see what God is doing in it? Or do we think, 
Well, Dan, Mark, I'm not really sure that's a good idea. What are you, what are you doing? Where have you taken us to here? But no, actually, I'm loving the fact, just, I get a sense, and I feel that others get a sense. No, we see this is what God is doing. God is doing it. Can we respond in faith? But as we said at the beginning, this isn't a, this command or this instruction isn't a kind of instruction to say, just keep everything below the surface. And kind of, oh yeah, something's been announced. Uh, I don't really get that. Oh, but I'll keep quiet about it um, because I mustn't grumble about it. No, we want to ask. We want to ask questions. If we're confused, if we're, we're thinking, what? I don't understand. We want to go with the right attitude. Actually, Dan, what is this about? I don't understand this yet fully. Not grumbling. This is, this is genuine inquiry. We see that in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what, this kind of, what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then here's Mary's response. Her first response, How will this be? Mary answered. Mary asked, for I'm a, since I'm a virgin. She's asking the question. She doesn't get this. This doesn't make sense. So the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will, be, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And then we see Mary's heart on this. She's asked the question. She was confused. She didn't get it. The angel's given her an answer. Nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. We can come asking, genuinely wanting to understand. We don't want to live in confusion and think, and just kind of try and get by with a kind of, oh, I don't really get that. I'm not really sure I'm with this because I, I don't understand this direction we're going in. And we don't want to be in that place. But we want to come genuinely asking, I want to understand, I want to believe, I want to believe God in this. And we can ask the question. And secondly, we can see in how this grumbling comes out, we can see that it can come against each other. And we see in the passage in Philippians, Paul has been encouraging them to be united, to look out for each other's interests, to not do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, not to kind of think, I'm going to do this for me, I'm going to go on my way. I want this to benefit me. And again with the Israelites, we see in Numbers chapter 12 how this can kind of start to slip in. Numbers 12, verse 1. Miriam, well, in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron, they've got some problem with Moses because of, his, because of the wife he has chosen. 
But then in verse 2, they say this. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They ask. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. And it turns out that the attitude behind this is all wrong. It's just... Moses seems to be getting the credit for all of this. But hasn't, he, hasn't God also spoken through us? And again, in number 16. And if, if any one situation is what 1 Corinthians 10 was pointing to, when Paul says, don't grumble as they did, then it's this whole situation here. You get a guy called Korah and some others who come to Moses. And again, they're saying in verse uh, 3, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves up above the Lord's assembly? And again, it seems like just to grumble at the leaders. But actually, Moses reveals their heart. In verse 8, Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and uh, and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He's brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get the priesthood too. It's against the Lord you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Moses sees in their heart, what's in their heart is, we want more for ourselves. We want more for us. Why aren't we getting any more recognition? Why aren't we getting the position of prominence? They're grumbling about their part to play. The disciples fall into this in Luke as well, where, they, where Jesus catches them arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. Who, is it me? Is it you? But in this, we need to trust God again. We need to trust God to know that his plans for us, for each of us, and for us together, are good plans. Or we can end up feeling bitter when we looked at those verses, those previous verses about uh, not doing things out of selfish ambition. We looked at this about, we can just get into this way of thinking of why hasn't this happened? Why, am, why haven't I got, been asked to do this? Why not me? Why them? Why are they doing it? resorting to grumbling we're just moaning about no we'll get our eyes back on god we can trust him for our lives for our for what he is going to do in our lives joseph and abraham had big promises over their lives they didn't exactly go very obviously according to plan as they would have seen it joseph big dreams i'm <laughs> I'm going to be in this great position. You're going to bow down to me. I'm going to be in this great position. No, no, sold into slavery. Oh. And thrown into prison. Oh. What's going on? Abraham. Great promise. God, I, God's going to make you into a people, a nation, a great nation. 25 years. I haven't got a baby. When it doesn't work out exactly as, we're, as we think, can we trust him? That's what we see from these stories, that actually God is in control. It's not, it's not working like 
like we might have thought, I thought, I thought you said we were going to do this. I was going to do this. No, no. Yes. But I've got it under control. Jesus has got it in control. He is our good shepherd. He leads us on. See that verse? I'm thinking it's Luke. Luke chapter 10. Oh, this might be a problem. No, it's not. Something 10.10. (laughs) One of the Gospels. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do we understand that we're in the care of our good shepherd? The thief comes only to steal. In fact, the devil will try and get in and say, actually, it's not really working out, is it? Maybe you should just... Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. This isn't right, is it? I thought I was going to do this. I thought I was destined for great things. I thought, I thought at least it would be better than this. No, no. The thief comes only to steal and destroy. Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. In Jeremiah 29, you see Jeremiah talking to the exiles in Babylon. 29 verse uh, 11. And God, God is speaking through Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We can trust God in everything. Whether it's in what, what we're going through personally. Whether it's in what we're doing as a church and stepping out into. Whether it's in the, the roles or the jobs or the, anything else like that that we're thinking, I thought I was going to do this. No, we can trust God that his plans for us are perfect. So, why does Paul draw attention to this? Well, he's looking for a people who are advancing the kingdom. He looks, he goes on to say, I want, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in this warped and crooked or generation, shining like stars. He wants to see people who are effective for God, who, who, are, who are running with the plans of God, who are running with what, all that God has for them in reaching out to the world around them. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? But also the Philippians are facing trouble. They're facing hardship. And so Paul is calling them to press on. I love the translation of that word, pure. I've seen it in other ways of where it comes out... We've got it as pure, but it comes out unblended, which means pure. But just hearing that word unblended, completely focused, it's just this. We're pure, going for God. So that we see the bigger picture, that God is in control and God is at work in us, as Paul says. And there's no sense... That the Philippians can say, well, Paul, it's all right for you. You're not here facing what we're going through. No, 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 no. Paul's writing from prison. And Paul, Paul even says it there. No, I'm facing the same thing. I faced it before. I'm facing it now. We're in this together, but we, we're in it with God. We need to fix our eyes on him to see the big picture. Not grumbling. What's the point? It's all gone wrong. 
Paul even says in verse 17, he closes out this section, uh, Philippians 2, 17. He says, even, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. It's not about Paul and what happens to him. Paul sees, no, I'm fixing my eyes on what God is doing. What is important is that you guys go for it in God. What's important that I've seen what God is doing among, through me, through you, amongst, across this world. So as we go forward, for us, what has this year got for us? Are we going to believe God? Are we going to let faith rise? Because it's so easy for us to slip into grumbling, oh no, what's gone wrong? Are we going to have that attitude of Jonathan's armor bearer? We're with you. Go. Do all that you have in mind. We're trusting God. But as I was preparing this, I'm thinking... Even in the last couple of weeks at core group and in different things, I'm just hearing stories of what people are facing. People are going through things. Many of you may be. I'm thinking, how can I bring... I can't bring a glib message on not complaining and arguing. Ah, Just get your chin up. No, it's not about that. We do face... Individuals can face really hard stuff. And what Paul's saying here is not just, well, get your chin up and get on with it. Just remember God's in control. No, no, God is in control. And in the hardship, rather than grumbling and moaning, we can come to him. We can cry out to him. What we see from the Israelites in the desert, Paul points out, don't grumble as they did. But actually the story also shows us God's incredible incredible provision and mercy through that. They grumbled, but actually God was faithful. God was faithful. God provided water. God provided food. In everything they faced, God came through. We can trust him in every situation of our lives. In everything. Not just the hard things. I'll share this story as I come to an end. But just actually in preparing this was just an object lesson in preaching it. (laughs) Dan asked me to preach again. Yeah, I'm going for it. Yes, I'm trusting God for this. I want to do it. This is good. It's been hard. (laughs) And and not, not... Again... I'm wanting to make this, this is, this is low level. This is, it was hard. In our family, beginning of last week, Nikki was knocked out ill with a cold. Nothing major, but cold, hard. Second half of the week, no, I'm ill with a cold. Came to last weekend, Andrew was sick. Ah, oh, what's going on? It's easy to drift into, how am I going to plan this? Where, where am I going to prep this? I, don't, I can't forget the time. God, why has it gone like this? Do I resort to that? Would it mean easy to? Or do I hang on to God? In everything we do, do we hang on to God? Big trials will come. We can cling on to him. Small things in the everyday will come. We can cling on to him. We'll see change 
and things, wow, I didn't know we were going to go this way. We can cling on to God. And in that, we can do everything without complaining or arguing. And we can be blameless and pure children of God. As we reach out into this city around us, Let's pray.